0: Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And as you're turning there to Acts 13, I want to read something from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we're going to be beginning here in Acts 13, we're going to actually be reading the first message recorded. Message by Paul. We saw last week in verse 13 how Paul is now the predominant spokesperson. It's Paul and the others. Beforehand, it was considered Barnabas and Paul, but now Paul is the central figure and is going to be throughout the rest of this book, really. He's going to be kind of who Luke keys on in this ministry and follows him. In his travels. And in chapter 9, Jesus told Ananias to go to Saul and to pray over him, for he was praying after he had been stricken with blindness on the road to Damascus. And one of the things he told Ananias was, You need to go to him, for I must show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I just want to read some of the things. In verse 24, it says, Five times, this is Paul speaking, I received from the Jews forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod, Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandit, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have oft gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food I have been cold and naked besides everything else I face daily the present pressure of my concern for all the churches a little insight into some of what Paul had gone through now we're going to rewind the tape or they don't have tapes anymore but we're going to go backwards on the DVD, whatever it is, and and come back to a place where now Paul is just at the beginning. And thinking of that list that we just read of all the things he went through, who would enlist for something like that? Who would sign up to to be a part of that kind of a life? Oh boy, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be stranded from your own countrymen, from your own brothers. You're going to spend nights in the deep. You're going to be cold. You're going to be naked. You're going to be hungry. Who wants to join? I don't think we'd have a a big enlistment, you know, sign-ups at the back table, you know, and there would be no one most likely for some kind of list like that. But you see, what we're going to start to understand is it's not what we encounter. It's not the things that we will experience. It is the truth that has hold of us. That's what makes us who we are and moves us to do what we do. I had no idea what this Christian life would be like when I bowed my knee and said, Jesus, come into my life. Hadn't a clue. And if I would have known all the things that I know now, being a young kid back then, I don't know what I would have done. God mercifully did not enlighten me to all those things. But I can say, sitting here today, that I would not trade it for anything. I would not trade it for anything. That there is a reality and a truth that is stronger than anything I have experienced in the world. As the psalmist said, His love is better than life itself. And having been taken hold of by God, I, like Peter, say, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. There's nothing else that's worth what you are worth. There's nothing else that is of as much value as you are. And so today, the step that is before me, I'll take that step. Because you are worth that step. I will live this life because you are worth this life. I will abandon the things of this world and the cares because you, you are more important and it is the Lord himself that captures us that gives us reason to move forward it's not that you're going to get a good job it's not that your marriage is going to be perfect your kids are going to grow up and wear ties (laughs) or whatever It's the Lord himself that holds us and keeps us. And so, starting in verse 14, we're going to read down and and see how Paul begins. This ministry, as it's recorded, we saw that Paul at one point started preaching and they had to kick him out of the city because he was just a little too much. And then the Lord brought peace into the city once Paul left. Well, here he comes again. In verse 14, it says, from. Perga, they went on to pass Antioch. And there's a few Antiochs. They're not all the same place that they originally came from. This is a different Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, being Paul and the companions he was with, saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people... Please speak. Boy, did they ask the wrong guy or what? Or, or maybe they asked the right guy exactly. They asked the right guy what was going to happen. And as he enters into the synagogue, this is something that Jesus often would do. When they would Jesus would go into a, a town, it says in Luke four sixteen, when he went into Nazareth as he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue as was his custom. It was a Sabbath it was his custom to go into The synagogue. And that's what Paul did. Went into the synagogue. Now, Paul was a learned man. We know that a little bit from what we've read. We saw that he had been schooled under Gamaliel. We know that he was a Pharisee. He was most likely a part of the Sanhedrin as he gave the orders for the persecution and got the orders. So he was a part of the higher ups at that time. Now, this is some years past, maybe up to 10 years from that time we first read. But no doubt, he was an educated man. Maybe in in simple conversation, talking, people saw, hey, this guy who's here visiting us today, he really knows something. He really knows what's going on. And the worship service that would take place in a synagogue at that time believed to contain uh, four things. One was the beginning, the, the Shema, where they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. That was something that they would announce and proclaim at the very beginning. Then there would be the prayer by the leader. Third, there would be the reading of the law. And on the Sabbath and feast days, there'd be a reading of the prophets as well. And then there would be a sermon by a suitable member of the congregation. And this might be what's taking place here. They're asking Paul, hey, we think you're suitable to be able to share with us some encouragement. Maybe someone said, hey, do you know who this guy is? Oh, he's studied under Gamaliel. Oh, that would bring a buzz. You know, Gamaliel, he was someone who was well known. Oh, really? He's a studied under them. Oh, well, by all means, a guest speaker, you know, come, come up and you're going to start sharing with us. And so they ask Paul and they open this invitation to him. And then verse 16 says, standing up. Paul motioned with his hands. This proves that there is a little Italian in Paul somewhere in there. Anyway, he motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will I do everything I want him to do. And so he starts off giving a little bit of a history lesson, which is very similar to what Stephen did back when Stephen gave his message that Saul was witness of. It started off recounting of God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, Stephen went back to Abraham and Saul starting with Egypt and Moses, so to speak. But they're both going to a place where they're acknowledging God was at work with this nation. And they're going to both bring to a point until fulfillment came of the person who God talked about, Jesus Christ, that we're going to see. But two of the things that are important here and the things that he's mentioning one with the children of Egypt or Israel as they're wandering in Egypt, and even with Saul the king, is their disobedience. They disobeyed what God had wanted them to do. The children of Egypt did not believe they wandered for forty years. It says that God endured in verse eighteen, or he put up with it says in the king james and it's an interesting word that word. Put up with. Because it's also the same word as nurture or nurse. And so it's like, well, what is it? Did he put up with them or did he nurture them? Well, I've never nursed a baby, but I, I think it's kind of the same thing sometimes. It's like you have to take care of this baby, and so you put up with the fact that you have to take care of them. And that's the idea is God did not abandon them. He endured the hardship and he nurtured them along the way because sometimes nurturing is a hardship. Those of you who have kids, you might be able to say amen at this point. <clears throat> Those of you who have parents might be able to say the same thing just for, for fairness sake. But there is involvement that costs of you. And God spent of himself, so to speak, in caring for this nation. God chose Saul. But God's choosing does not negate Saul's responsibility. Just because God chose Saul didn't mean it's a go, Saul, you're, you're in no matter what Saul still had to make choices himself, and he made some bad ones. And so God had to remove him and then brought in David. And we see that as he starts recounting these things and talking about them, what he's he's trying to bring home here is that just as the nation of Israel was delivered, they grumbled, they complained, they made wrong decisions. Just as Saul was chosen, he too had to be... Eliminated because he's going to go on to talk about the nation of Israel. And we want to keep this context and this perspective. Saul is coming in the back door, so to speak, just like Stephen did. When Stephen was talking about who Jesus was and how they kept persecuting the prophets and how they did not believe them and how they ended up being just like them as they put Jesus to death, Stephen kind of came in that back door. Well, Paul learned something, and he's doing the same thing. He's being wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And that's really an important thing to learn right here. Danny, can I get a glass of water? Otherwise, I don't know what'll happen in a couple of minutes. It'll just... (laughs) It'll go to nothing. Anyway, thanks, man. So... Take in verse 23 now. From this man's descendants, speaking of David now, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. As he promised, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one. No, But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets. They are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled or travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. And so he kind of comes to his point here in this message, just talking about from this time of David to John the Baptist, and how God now had established through the lineage of David the Messiah, as was promised. And he talks about how John had prophesied that this was going to happen. And it's kind of neat as we see him actually give. Record of what John the Baptist said. And it's neat to hear that coming from Paul, recorded through Luke. But, you see, it was something we've read before in the Gospels. When John said this to Jesus, and it's kind of neat to see this taking place all these years later. Remember what John said way back then? How cool that it's written down and it was rehearsed from that time it took place until now. some Who knows how many years later? Maybe again, 15, 20 years later. Something around it. And so we see this being rehearsed. (coughs) And Paul gets right to this point. That it's the person of Jesus. He talks about him and verse 30 it says, but God raised him from the dead. That is something that becomes very crucial and fundamental throughout the message and throughout The whole book of Acts, that God raised him. The the resurrection is the focal point, really, of the book of Acts. It is the acts of Jesus Christ through his church because he is alive. That's what it is. And the resurrection is the focus. It's not the crucifixion, it's not the cross, it's the resurrection. It's something that is very poignant to this message here. It's something that is very crucial to establish who Jesus was, that he indeed had God's stamp of approval, that he not only died, but he rose again. In fact, we're going to go see that he talks about the importance of this as prophesied through David. One of the things that he does mention here is the the witnesses, that he was seen by many witnesses. We know that it talks about he was seen by more than 500 at a time. 500 witnesses to the resurrection. Imagine you're in a court of law. And, well, first imagine you're you're going to the convenience store. You're going to the 7-Eleven down there on San Antonio, you know, 9th Street, there's one. Or pick a Seven Eleven. It doesn't matter. And you go to Seven Eleven. As you're there, it gets robbed. This guy pulls in. He's got a blue beanie. He has a gun, and he asks for the money. And you're standing there with your Slurpee, and you you see the guy come in, and he, he gets the money, and he goes out, and you see him drive off, you know, in a a blue Chevy Nova, and and you see that all take place, and then. Sure enough, they catch the guy and the police call you for a witness and you go to the court and you're waiting, you know, there in the court of law and you're waiting for the time to come and then the judge comes up or they call you to the jury stand or whatever stand that is they call you to. They they put you on the stand and they ask you, so, you know, what did you see? And you say, well, I saw this guy. He's about five foot eight, had a blue beanie on, he had a, a gun. And then he ran off with the money into a blue Nova and drove off. And I say, okay, thank you. You may be seated. And then they call another guy. And tell me what you saw. Well, I saw a guy. I don't know how tall he was, but he had this blue beanie on. Him. He had a gun. And, it, you know, it was a silver gun. It was pretty shiny. It's a nice gun. And he went out and he peeled out in this blue Chevy Nova. And then say okay thank you you can go be seated and they called another guy and another guy and another and they had 500 people in 711 that day watching as this took place maybe it was one of those you know 711 slurpy days where they give them away for cheap anyway 500 people are there that see this guy they describe what happened what are the odds that that guy would be convicted well, it depends. You, you, you never know. <laughs> you never know in California. But um, the odds are pretty good. The odds are pretty good that they would say, yeah, that's the guy, this is what happened, that's how it is. Well, that was the case with Jesus. Never do we see people disputing the resurrection throughout the book of Acts. We never see the Pharisees talking about it. We never see the the Romans or the Gentiles or the leaders arguing about it. It seems to be something that everyone said or agreed or acknowledged took place to some degree. Otherwise, we would hear some kind of even historical reference to and we don't. The historical references we have even from Josephus say that he was seen to be alive again. And so here, Paul gives this assertion that Jesus was alive, seen by a lot of people, and even the mention of Jesus was obviously well-known, because he doesn't go into detail about, well, have you guys heard about this guy, Jesus? He just talks about it as if everyone would know. It's one of those things, you guys all know, it's kind of like, well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, you guys know what that is, and most people do. You know, most people know what those kinds of things. There's, you know, every now and then there's a few stragglers who don't know what's going on. I thought it was funny. I put a comment on my Facebook that I was going to watch You Too because they're on David Letterman. And I got a message back saying, who's You Too?" And I thought, what? Anyway. <laughs> so every now and then there's one person, you know, who doesn't know who you're talking about. But most obviously, sorry for that little detour. But anyways, most, most of the time, and most of the case, most likely these people knew exactly what he was talking about. So when he said Jesus and all these people who have seen him, they were like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we know about that. You know, so-and-so's cousin actually knows someone who knew someone who saw him. Or, yeah, you know, Harry was down there, you know, Hussan, whatever his name was, was down there, and he saw him too. And, and so there's this kind of recognition of what he's talking about, and there isn't any disputing about it. And so he goes on in verse 32. He says, We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy ones see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. And so now Paul is saying this isn't talking about David, this is talking about Jesus because David saw decay, and he, he quotes a number of scriptures here. He quotes Isaiah, he quotes Psalms, uh, two Psalms, Psalm two seven, Isaiah fifty five three, and Psalm sixteen ten. He quotes them. It's interesting too because in verse twenty two he quotes like three scriptures and put makes them one verse, and so. We see here Paul's command of the scriptures and just utilizing them in his conversation, which I think is very important to be able to utilize the scriptures, the the word of God in our daily conduct. He doesn't say, I mean, he doesn't quote chapter and verse. He does say in the second Psalm at the beginning, but then he jumps to Isaiah and then he jumps to Psalm 16 and he doesn't say, and turn to me to, you know, turn with me to Psalm. 16. He just starts sharing and scripture starts coming out. And how neat is that to be able to talk to someone and be able to communicate the scriptures in your regular conversation as if it was just natural. What a, a powerful thing and tool that is. And how important it is for us to be able to do the same thing, to be able to communicate the Word of God, the Scriptures, in our regular conversation, so that as we're talking and we share the Scriptures, you know, everyone sins. In fact, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. You know, just in conversation, well, that's a Scripture. I have confidence that, you know, he's able to forgive forgive us our sins and to clean us from all our unrighteousness. That's a scripture. Just to be able to talk to someone and share those things with them. So that it's not just, I think, but it is God who has said it because the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Able to divide between Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Doesn't return void, accomplishes what God sets it forth to do. So it's important to know it so that it becomes a part of our conversation. And it was here a part of Paul's as he shares these things. And I love how he starts off in verse 32. We tell you the good news Boy, how many times have we heard the good news? I mean, just that phrase, the good news, means gospel. The good news, it's connected to the person of Jesus Christ always. The good news of Jesus Christ. In this case, the good news, what promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us by raising up Jesus. The good news. God has accepted what Jesus has done. He did not see decay he's who david prophesied about he's who isaiah prophesied about this is jesus the one who was the promise verse 38 he goes on he says therefore my brothers i want you to know that through jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you mark that verse because this is the heart of the gospel this is that beating of the good news through him everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of moses take care that what you have what the prophets have said does not happen to you and then he quotes again habakkuk look you scoffers wonder and perish For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Paul ends his sermon saying just again some powerful things. Excuse me. That through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed through him. Everyone who believes is justified from everything You could not be justified from the law of Moses. In other words, Jesus fulfilled what the law could not do. And he talks about this a lot more fully in the book of Romans. But what he is saying, the law could not change you. But Jesus can. The law can only tell you what is right and where you fell short. But Jesus can change what you really care about. And justify you in the sight of God and begin a work within you that you wouldn't believe even if someone were going to tell you. And what great news this is. Everyone can be justified who believes in him. Everyone can be forgiven who believes in him. What does it mean to believe in him? What does that mean? Because devils believe. And they're not forgiven. Belief here is, talk, is referring to putting confidence in the work that he has done. When you believe in Jesus, you are putting confidence in his work on the cross, God's approval of that by the resurrection of the dead, and say, I accept that work on my behalf. That's what it means to believe. I believe that I am justified not because I am able to earn it by the keeping of the law. I am justified because Jesus kept it and fulfilled it. That's what justifies us, not the works of our flesh. As he tells the Galatians, having begun in the spirit, are you now going to end in the flesh? Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? No, it's Jesus, period. This becomes so important when you see someone who is at the end of their life. And a person thinks back and they think of all the things that they've done wrong. And those lists can be pretty long. I've done so many things wrong. How can God forgive me for this, 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 this? this. Okay, stop. No, this, this, this. Stop, stop. You don't have to worry about that. Because that is not what's necessary for you to do all those things right. What is necessary is you to believe in the one is able to justify you, the one who did it right, because you never could, I never could, but he can. And so, there is forgiveness available to you and justification for everyone who believes in him, what the law of Moses couldn't do, Jesus took care of. Be careful that you don't believe what God is now telling you. Be careful that you don't scoff at that. And he gives them, he ends with this warning because God is doing something that you would never believe even if someone told you. I love that. How could you ever guess that God would work in such a personal way in such messed up people's lives? What on earth would anyone think that for. God's got better things to do. He's running the universe. I mean, man, if that sun stops, you know, just being at the right place, I mean, if we get a little bit closer, man, we're going to be toast. You know, a little bit further, we're going to be frozen. A little closer, we're going to be burning up. Except for the women, they'll be just right, you know, because they always, for some reason, are colder than the guys. But, I mean, This universe is just moving, and so much is going on. There's comets, there's meteors, and it's all just taking place. God's got a lot on his plate. But he cares enough for that person who does not deserve anything, who will say, I believe in you and what you've done, Jesus, for me. And God's, oh, I'm going to make him my dwelling place. Who could have thought something like that? You wouldn't believed it if someone told you, but it's being told. Well, his message, now he goes on in verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. There is another thing you need to just underline and highlight. They urged them to continue in the grace of God. You know what, guys? Don't ever stop continuing in the grace of God or you're in trouble. You know, it's one thing, yeah, I want to encourage you to live a holy life. I want to encourage you to do those things. Those are all great things, but more than anything, I want to encourage you to to stay in the grace of God because that's something you're going to need. That's going to be the thing that helps you to get back up when you fall in the mud. That's going to be the thing that helps you to recognize, you know, God's love and mercy is there even when I don't feel like it, even when things are falling apart around me. I need to continue in the grace of God and what are we encouraging people to do? Are we encouraging them to continue in the grace of God? Are we letting them know, you know what? God loves you so much. Continue in his love. Don't forsake the love of God. Continue in the grace of God. That's what we need to encourage people to continue in. Verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. That's so cool. Like, boy, I tell you, word of mouth is the best advertisement there is. It just, it's, it sends the, the message louder and clearer than anything else. The whole city's there. Just, you know, the next Sabbath. One week later, everyone's coming around. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Here we go. And talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. <coughs> of course, it's talking about them. And honored the, the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. <coughs> Paul goes to, the again, the synagogue. The Jewish people, the leaders there <coughs> that were gathered there, became jealous as they saw the crowds coming into them, They were jealous of that and Paul and Barnabas answered and said, we came to you first because that's what we're supposed to do. But since you don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. And then he says, for this is what the Lord commanded us. And it's interesting because he quotes Isaiah 49 verse 6. Well, shouldn't they have known that? Yeah, they should have. It's not he said, this is what the Lord Jesus told us to do. It's essentially the same because he is the Lord and this is written all by him and and he is the word of God. But he says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That was your job. God told you to do this. You're not doing it. So we're going to go and do it. We're going to go to the Gentiles. And of course, the Gentiles heard this and they were glad. It's kind of like, you know, if you find out you're in that tax break, you're glad, you know. If you're above that tax break, you're not glad. You know, I didn't get the break, you did. Uh, You're glad, I'm mad. Um, But the Gentiles were very glad because now they heard this and all of a sudden it's like, wow, we can be invited in? We, We can be considered part of God's people? And so they're rejoicing. Verse 49, it says, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women. (laughs) There's something here. Uh, (laughs) Of high standing and leading men (laughs) of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay. The word of God spread throughout the whole region. Paul stayed in the cities primarily. That was his focus. That's where the most people were, were in the cities. In fact, the word pagan actually means country dweller. Because... After a period of time, the only people who did not know the message of Jesus Christ were the ones who were outside of the city that lived in the country. They were the pagans because they lived outside where that gospel was being preached. I think it's kind of cool. They just went and talked to all the people who were in the city and the people who weren't in the city, those country folks out there, were the pagans. That's funny because Christians keep saying, well, I want to get out to the country, get away from the evil city. Paul was in the middle of the city and then all the people who, I guess, you know, were out, didn't know were the pagans. They were out in the country because the city was filled with people who knew this message. The Jews didn't like this. They incited the God-fearing women of high standing. I wonder why wonder if they were able to, to get that message across quicker or something. I don't know. They were home and they were able to communicate a little bit more, but they purposely went to the women to incite them. I, I'll leave that up to you to interpret however you want. I don't want to get in more trouble than I already am. Uh, high standing, as well as the leading men of the city, so the, the guys are in there too, stirring up persecution. And so they had to leave that region. They dust off their feet. Remember, that's what Jesus said to do. If you go to a house and they won't receive your peace, let your your peace return to you and dust off your feet. You tried, they wouldn't receive it, take it back. You know, it's not our job to force someone to believe. You can't do it. You present the peace, the love, the mercy, the grace of God. If they will not receive it, it's not your job to make them. You have to move on. And a lot of times we want to make people. I want to make you understand. I'm going to make you believe. I'm going to give you my best argument and we're going to labor and and you really can't convince anyone into the kingdom of God. You can state your case but then you have to let the Spirit of God work on their hearts. Now, the great thing about this is imagine Stephen when he was being stoned to death looking up and seeing Saul there holding the coats of all those people who were throwing the stones. I bet... If he were to think, man, I guess I didn't reach that guy, he could be really bummed out. Like, I wasn't effective, but here we are years later, and the message that he shared, and the Spirit of God continuing to work, even as we read in the beginning of Acts, that it is his job, the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of sin. It's not our job to convict the world of sin our job to proclaim the message the good news of Jesus Christ the spirit's job will convict people of sin let the spirit do his job we move on and do what we have to do take this message other places instead of staying there and putting up a fight Paul and Barnabas left that region they went on and they went on and they weren't bummed like, man, we had something good going that. Remember that town was filled and now we're getting kicked out. In verse 52, it says, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you do what God wants you to do, you can have joy even when it's hard. When you do what God wants you to do, it is a satisfying thing. It's, it's making things click. You know, I don't, I don't golf, but I've, Golfed enough to want to get better. And so I've gone to the driving range. And, and I've sliced through a bucket of balls. You know, whew. I, I, I should almost face left so that they would go straight. I mean, I just... But every now and then, I hit one. And it's like all the cylinders are firing on that one golf ball. I know a car analogy with golf balls probably why I'm not good at golf. But all of a sudden... I hit that ball and it goes far and it goes straight. And you're like, yes. And you'll buy a whole nother bucket of balls just to get that one one shot in. Because yes, that's what it's supposed to be like. Well, it's the same thing with our lives. When our lives are doing what we're supposed to be doing, it's like, yes. It clicks. It connects. And even though I'm getting kicked out of the region and getting kicked out of the city, I'm doing what God wants me to do and I could be filled with joy. And they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be. It's filled with joy because we're doing what God wants us to do and we're empowered by His Spirit so that we can do it in the right way, in the way that He has called us to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's example, not only his example of being steadfast and diligent and perseverant throughout all his life and the things that would come his way, but also his wisdom and, and how he started bringing this message of who you are to the people we're thankful for his boldness that prompts us to want to be bold Lord we can't be friends with everybody we can't make everyone happy and it's not our job and it's also not our job to convict people of their sin Lord that's, that's your job your spirit can do that better than us it's our job to enlighten them the truth of who you are To give them the good news, the grace of what you've done. Father, I pray you would help us to do that. To be wise in how we do it. To not compromise this message. to, To let them know the truth as well as the warnings. Even as Paul warned them. Father, give us that boldness. And Lord, may we have the joy of your spirit. As we are doing what you've called us to do. Living the lives that you want us to live. Father, if we do that, may we too be filled with your joy and with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you again for your unfailing love, Lord, for forgiving us and for justifying us, Lord. That We depend on you, Jesus, now and always. Lord, may we continue to lean on you throughout our lives. We do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.